It's October 7th, 2020. Welcome to the new reality edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. First up, uh, we'll have Rodrigo Romo from the Pacific International Space Center for Exploration Systems. And uh, we'll talk about uh, a program that he is uh, very much involved in called Women in Space Exploration. And there's a series of talks, and they're happening this week. And then uh, we'll be joined by Corey Schaefer from Verizon Wireless and Sean Takeda McLaughlin from uh, Axis Humboldt, all the way from California. And we're going to be talking about the recent FCC auction of the 3.5 gigahertz frequency. And, of course, uh, what are some of the typical use cases for that frequency. Of course, now I want to welcome Rodrigo, all the way from the Big Island. Uh, he's from Pisces, or better known as the Pacific International Center for Space Exploration. Of course, uh, he's here, and he was telling me about the uh, Women in Space Exploration talks called uh, called WISE, which is appropriate. And and there's a there's a series of talks which actually took place um, starting on Monday. But uh, I wanted to give uh, Rodrigo a chance to fill us in on the rest of the week. So welcome to the show, Rodrigo. Hey, aloha, Bert. Thank you very much for having us here. Yeah, th- this is a really exciting week. Uh, I mean, to top it off right now, I don't know if you're aware, but uh, two of the recent Nobel Prize winners were uh, women that had links to the Big Island. Uh, one won a Nobel Prize in chemistry, graduated from Hilo High School here in Hilo, and the other one who won a Nobel Prize in physics uh, worked at the Wama Telescope from Mauna Kea. So it's a great week in science for the Big Island and for women in general. So the, the talks that you're referring to, uh, WISE Talks, uh, stands for Women in Space Exploration. Usually every year we have a, a summer program for high school girls in which we try to, to show young women aspiring to be scientists what options are out there for, for them in STEM-related careers. This year, because of the pandemic, we had to postpone first and then cancel the program. But uh, one of our, our sponsors for the program, Microsoft, suggested we held a, a virtual or an online series of talks. Um, we told them we did not have the, the, the know-how or the capabilities to do that, and Microsoft offered to provide the platform and the tech support to hold these uh, webinars. So with, with the support from Microsoft uh, and the Hawaii Science Technology Museum, we were able to put a really, really stellar lineup out of this world. Uh, the talks take place every morning, either at 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, they're featuring seven women involved in space exploration, and they're talking about the projects that they have been involved with. Uh, on Monday, we had Jessica Dempsey from the East Asia Observatory talk about the recent discovery of phosphine gas on Venus. Great, yeah. Yesterday, we had Nadine Cox from JPL talking mm-hmm. about the Curiosity rover on Mars and the Perseverance rover on its way to Mars. Today, we had uh, Sarah Langberg from Aero Environment. Uh, she's one of the lead engineers that worked on the helicopter that's on its way to Mars right now. Uh, on board of of Rover Perseverance, and that is a really exciting uh, project. And for the next day, tomorrow we have Monty Roman, a NASA uh, biologist, 
that is going to talk about her role in the designing and building of the life support systems on the International Space Station. Uh, that's Thursday. And Friday, we're going to have Amanda Hendricks. She's a scientist with, uh, with JPL and the, and the Planetary um, Research Institute. And she's going to talk about her work with the Cassini probe that, uh, you know, went over around uh, Saturn and some of its moons. It's going to talk about the discoveries that Cassini had. It's going to talk about the, the idea of looking at one of its moons, Titan, as one of the places where to possibly colonize in the future. And then Saturday, we're closing up with a really... Uh, <coughs> fascinating presenter, Barbara Belvisi. She's a French entrepreneur uh, that made her money in, in the French uh, market. She holds several portfolios, but at the same time, she is a space enthusiast. And so she formed this company called uh, Interstellar Lab, and they are looking at building uh, self-sustainable closed-loop systems, similar to that project uh, in Arizona a couple of years ago, Biosphere 2, mm-hmm but in a more modern uh, approach. And the reason why this is so, so attractive or so interesting to me is I, I was part of the Biosphere 2 project. I was, I was in the second mission. So to see that concept being resurrected is quite fascinating. So these, these talks, uh, although the target audience for the talks are young women who aspire to be scientists, uh, they are open to anyone who wants to join. They are free. Uh, you can register at the Pisces website, which is pacificspacecenter.com forward, forward slash WiseTalks, and you register for any of the talks um, individually. They, they are uh, about a half an hour presentation from, from these women engineers, followed by half an hour of question and answers where the, where the, uh, the attendees can ask any questions about their personal lives, their careers, their projects. They, they are really, really interesting. The, so far, the, the talks that we've had have been very, very good. That's, a, that's great. And, and Rodrigo, you did a great uh, <laughs> uh, description of all the talks. I didn't even have to come in and interject any kind of, kind of questions. Did you, how did you f- uh, find all these uh, folks? Did, was Microsoft involved, or this was pretty much your reaching out to your contacts? This is, this is all of our doing. Uh, you know, in the past, with, with this program that I was mentioning that we have in, in the summer for high school girls, we, we get involved with a lot of women scientists, uh, and that's where some of the contacts come. Also, from some of the research work we do in the conferences we attend, the contacts we have with NASA, uh, we, we've created this network of contacts that are, are truly invaluable. And, and what's really, really cool about this is that they are so approachable and so humble and, and so friendly. They, they come out and they talk, and it's just like, like talking to an old friend that you've met for a long time. They, they share their experiences. They share their lives. They share their dreams. They answer the questions, honestly. It's a really, really um, rewarding experience. No, I really encourage anyone with any interest in space exploration to, to join these talks. Yeah, no, that's great, and I, I, I like the fact that it's not only for the young women in, in uh, the, the audience, but uh, also for anybody who's interested in, in just hearing these great women who are 
in right in the crosshairs of, of science and, and, and space exploration. That's great. So, Rodrigo, one more it's time. Any, what's the, uh, what's the uh, URL? Yeah, so the, the website is all lower caps, all together, pacificspacecenter.com. And then you can look at one of the tabs on top of the page, go to the tab for Wise Talk, or just enter pacificspacecenter.com forward, forward slash Wise Talk. And that'll take you to the page of, of the event. You scroll down and you go to the event that you want to attend and you register to each one of those events in the, in, in the individually. Sounds good. I'll put that up on our show notes uh, for later on tonight as well. Rodrigo, much mahalo for joining us. Oh, thank you, Bert. It's really a pleasure, um, and I look forward to uh, the next invitation where we can talk about some cool space stuff. You just let me know, and I'll have you back on. Well, this is, uh, we'll take a short break, and then when we return, we'll be joined by Corey Schaefer from Verizon Wireless and Sean McLaughlin uh, from Axis Humboldt, and we'll talk about the 3.5 gigahertz frequency auction. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Shamanad University and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm happy to welcome Corey Schaefer, Senior Manager, uh, Network Assurance from Verizon Wireless, and Sean Taketa McLaughlin, He's the executive director, also known as a digital ecologist, which I'll have him explain what, they, what that is, uh, from Axis Humboldt. And uh, we'll talk about the recent FCC auction and the use of five, uh, 3.5 gigahertz frequency. This is Bite Marks Cafe, and I want to welcome you both to the show. Thanks, Bert. Thanks, Bert. Thanks. Great to be here. So uh, just uh, by way of uh, a quick background, so... You might be wondering, Axis Humboldt, I mean, what's uh, what's the connection there? Well, I know Sean from uh, his uh, time when he was here in Hawaii, and Axis Humboldt, uh, it turns out, is, is very much like uh, one of our uh, public access television channels, like uh, whether it's um, Okaku, right, or Olelo. Uh, but, uh, Sean, why don't you go ahead and uh, just uh, do a quick um, update, intro for what uh, Axis Humboldt is. Sure. Well, it, it very much is related to the um, community media organizations that folks are familiar with in, in Hawaii. Across the islands, you have Olalo for Honolulu and Akaku for Maui, uh, Naleo for the Big Island, and Hoike for Kauai County. So each of those is de- responsible for community voices and really opening up channels of media, sort of digital media access and helping those who can't afford to pay to have a voice. So it's essentially free speech in the digital media realm. Mm-hmm. So, so just like that, Access Humboldt over here in Eureka, California, serving Humboldt County, sort of on the north coast in the Redwoods, we start off the same way. We're about helping people create content and share their content. Uh, it starts off with cable TV, but very quickly, you see how the landscape is changing. The way people communicate now is more and more online. People use broadband and Internet connections. And, you know, YouTube is just getting started when we started developing our work. But we realized really quickly that people need access to networks, to connections, to broadband, fast Internet connections, to really participate in the, in 
community, just like needing a voice in the media. Now, and uh, part of that in the future is having access to broadband internet, fast mm-hmm. internet. Now, you uh, spent several years, many years in, in Maui running Akaku, right? Yes, I was very fortunate and had a wonderful experience on Maui of building the community access from a couple of channels up to, you know, four or five cable TV channels at a radio station. And then we were we did some planning for Internet access. Actually, the vision for Maui was let's make every county facility a, a free Wi-Fi hotspot. Mm-hmm. So every fire station, every place you see a county location, you know, could be a free Wi-Fi for the community. It didn't quite happen yet, but it still might, you know. <laughs> well, you know, we, we, we miss you, and I guess the best, uh, the, the, the best second best is to just at least have you virtually uh, get involved with some of the things going on here in Hawaii. So I appreciate that, uh, that update. And, and uh, Corey, I, I know um, you from uh, uh, Verizon Wireless, and, and I joke around with Corey because I, I told Corey that he's a longtime listener, and if you listen long enough, you become a guest on, <laughs> on Bite Marks Cafe. <laughs> So, Corey, welcome. Welcome to uh, Bite Marks Cafe. Thanks for having me, Bert. So, uh, before I, I also dive into the 3.5 discussion, uh, um, Sean, you described yourself as a digital ecologist. What exactly is that? Well, I, I, I guess what that's trying to express is not just about the technology, but sort of thinking about the digital technology and the way we communicate and how it's changing and also thinking about um, how the different platforms that we use interact. Like, how does this radio show interact with your podcast, with a website, with a TV channel, with a newspaper? So there's like an information ecosystem mm-hmm. of how mm-hmm. uh, is the underlying concept. And so when I project that my role is to try to be a digital ecologist, it's to say, what's the best influence we can have to have a healthier information ecology like are, are we getting good information is it reliable are we hearing from local sources that's a good um, that's a good point i mean those, it's, those, it's those sorts of things yeah yeah it's it's like a you know if you're going to talk about the digital um ecosystem you got to have a digital ecologist there to help you know kind of make the connections uh, throughout that digital uh ecosystem so cory cory tell me um you know, you long, you're a longtime Verizon wireless guy, and, and as you see some of these uh, frequencies become available, can you give us a little bit of the backstory on on what the 3.5 entails and this uh, CBRS? CBRS is what? Citizen Broadband Radio Service. What what happened at the FCC that all, all of a sudden made it available for uh, the commercial wireless companies to, uh, you know, I guess uh, make an offer and and go through the auction. Yeah, um, so this is a really interesting spectrum, Bert. So you know, typically in the past, the FCC has either had licensed spectrum, you know, for a radio station or a, a cell phone carrier, mm-hmm. or unlicensed spectrum for like Wi-Fi and baby monitors. This is kind of a weird hybrid approach. Um, it's shared spectrum. So it's 150 megahertz from 3.55 gig up to 3.7 gig. And there's three tiers of access. So the first tier are the incumbents. And this kind of gets to your question of uh, why is this spectrum made available. Uh, the federal government, the military, and uh, the existing incumbents, some of the space-to-Earth satellite, weren't really using this spectrum that much. 
and 150 megahertz of spectrum at this frequency range is just super useful. And um, so we, basically, uh, phone manufacturers have started putting this in their phones, and the FCC said, hey, let's widen this out and give more people the opportunity to use this. <clears throat> So when so you say when you say shared, so you have the, you, you describe these incumbents. Uh, so these incumbents will continue to use these frequencies, but as uh, commercial enterprise uh, get you know submit their auctions and and get licenses, uh, how do they coexist? So so there's these three tiers. So the incumbents are at the top, and no one can interfere with them. But if they're not using it, there's a second and a third tier. The second tier is called priority access, and that's what the auction was. Mm-hmm. So in Hawaii, there are seven – well, across the uh, country, there are seven of these things called PALs, priority access licenses. And they're 10 megahertz channels, and they are being uh, licensed off um, for 10 years. So you don't have the top uh, – you're not the number one incumbent, uh, but you have uh, this priority access and then the third tier is just general authorized users, and that would be anyone. Anyone. You don't need a license at all. You just need to follow the rules of the CBRS spectrum. And essentially the rules are that there's this server uh, called a spectrum access system, a SAS, mm-hmm. that basically communicates with all the different radios, all the different base stations that are out there, and coordinates their use. And because we have these three tiers – um, whoever the highest tier is that asks for the spectrum gets it at that time. So the incumbents are first, the PALs are second, and the GAAs, the general authorized users, are third. Um, so basically they ask the SAS, can I have this channel um, with this much power? And the SAS says yes or no, depending on how close you are to another person who's transmitting. And basically it's a big coordinated uh, spectrum sharing thing enabled by this system called a SAS. And the protocol is all open, um, so it's a HTTPS and JSON standard. Uh, it's all online. It's it's actually a pretty simple standard. Um, it's I think it's under 100 pages. A lot of these are thousands of pages long. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of been simplified um, to make it more usable for general users. So I think that uh, uh, GAA access could be useful for smaller startups and things like that. So, so um, Sean, you know, you're you're yep. pretty much uh, following a lot of uh, a lot of these uh, technologies, and 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 you seem to be like a, a, a like an encyclopedia, like a resource <laughs> for. So, you know, I know from a from an access Humboldt standpoint. I mean, you may not be directly involved with uh, you know three point five, but from a right. from a sort of observer of the the digital ecosystem, where do you, where do All you right. see three point oh. five sort of fitting in? Uh, absolutely. Well, spectrum. First of all, spectrum and is essential, and we think of it like access to the public rights of way. Mm-hmm. It's a public resource, so we're always looking at how spectrum is serving public needs and interests. So, in that in that sense, spectrum is essential to us. And I don't know if folks were following the um, EBS or the educational broadband service auctions at the in the uh, 2.5. Uh, range, but those are more common. Those are like the cell, cellular mobile data frequencies that I think T-Mobile uses a lot or Sprint. Um, but CBRS is, um, <clears throat> first of all, it's not as powerful as 2.5. 3.5 is about a tenth of the power transmitted, so it has less capacity over shorter distances than like the 2.5 gigahertz in terms of the physics of the um, spectrum. Mm-hmm. 
but but it is a as um, as Corey was saying, this is a large swath, 150 megahertz, of which 80 are unlicensed and available for anybody right now to start using, and the other 70 are licensed to incumbent and priority access. So. What's super exciting from an access ecosystem point of view is this shift of making uh, swaths of spectrum available for uh, unlicensed and shared use is huge progress from our point of view because today, uh, actually, parts of that spectrum are available for unlicensed use. And um, it sounds a little bit abstract because there's so many different ways you could use it, but because it's less powerful and, and doesn't travel as far, um, think about things like smart meters for mm-hmm. your electric utility mm-hmm. provider. Uh, we notice in Hawaii, like Hawaiian Electric was one of the successful bidders. Um, it sort of really maps uh, overlay of CBRS, looks a lot like an Internet of Things. If you had a bunch of dedicated environmental sensors out in the field, you would love to have a little bit. You would use CBRS to get free connections to those devices over you know, half a mile. That's pretty good. Oh, those are some. Um, those are some great points. Yeah. And and uh, you know, I, I did. I did also want to ask uh, Corey some of the questions about you know the typical kind of uh, uh, use case. Uh, but if you're if you're just joining us, uh, we're talking to Corey Schaefer. He's a senior manager. Uh, for uh, network assurance over at Verizon Wireless and Sean Takeda McLaughlin, who's calling in all the way from Access Humboldt. He's the executive director for the Community Access uh, Television there. And we're talking about the 3.5 gigahertz uh, auction that the FCC recently had. And, and, and Corey, uh, you were telling me that uh, Verizon Wireless for, I think on, on Oahu at least, got, got four out of the seven. Do you... You recall, uh, um, was it uh, two that the Hawaiian Electric got, and I think uh, one other went to a dish. Yes, I think I think you got it right there, Bert. Um, yeah, so I, I, you want to talk about use cases? Yes. I can't specify what Verizon will do with our exact licenses, um, uh, but in general, this is just really valuable spectrum. It's TDD spectrum, so it, it it's not separate uplink and downlink, so everything will be signaled on the same channels, uh, but that that TDD spectrum is already in all the new smartphones. So if you look, if you've gotten a smartphone in the last year or two and you look at its band capabilities, you'll see band 48 in there, and that is CBRS. So um, basically, I think a lot of these uh, folks that get these licenses and the GAA users that don't will be able to take advantage of, you know, smartphones that are already out there. So you could build 4G networks on this. You could build a 5G network on here. Uh, so with the 4G, you can do anything you could do right now, like Sean was alluding to, um, Internet of Things, machine-to-machine, Category M for the category machine devices. Uh, that stuff's all 4G and 5G capable. So that 3G PPP standard for 4G and 5G, um, the standards are really quite similar. Uh, the 5G standard's only different in that the time slots can be smaller um, and it has reduced latency. So when you add in the reduced latency, you get some of the other applications like low latency video calling, AR, VR, um, driverless cars. And I think one other really important thing to note about this spectrum, because it's not licensed, because you could always technically get interference on it unless you're one of those incumbents, Mm -hmm. um, 
the, the feature of carrier aggregation that allows you to add these channels to other channels that you have is going to be really useful. So um, if a carrier has a, a license network, um, they could add these channels in, and then if they got interfered with by an incumbent, well, they can lose them, but they'll come back as soon as that incumbent's gone. So we have the technology nowadays to take advantage of extra spectrum, even though if we lose that spectrum due to interference, it's not going to uh, uh, kill the call or drop your connection. So that's so, a, another enabling technology here. So that's interesting that, that uh, the way you describe it, <clears throat> the technology is able to uh, uh, kind of compensate for the loss of signal. And and obviously this must be happening at, at the, the, the millisecond rates because when you are having a conversation and let's say it's uh, over a uh, 5G call and, and maybe there's a uh, interference with you know the priority uh, and the incumbent. Uh, could you describe a little bit about you know like what might happen? How would it it transfer so quickly so that you know from a user standpoint you wouldn't even notice? Yeah, absolutely. So on the network side and the the user equipment side, that's what we call your handset in the three G P P P world. Um, there's error correction, and basically um, we have carrier aggregation. So you could talk on two or three or four, up to five different channels. So five different of these spectrum bands that we're talking about now, you could be on. So if uh, one or two of them have interference, those channels just won't be used, and we'll use the other channels that are still connected with low error rates and select the the uh, uh, bits off of that those channels essentially. Wow, that's uh, you know that the technology that goes uh, behind the scenes to enable all of this is is pretty well, fascinating. I guess remember Bert when it was uh, difficult for a call to transfer from a Wi-Fi network to a mobile cell network, and I think device, intelligent devices are managing that pretty well now. Yeah, you get drop-offs and stuff, but handing off. Uh, you know, from network to network and within networks between channels, I think it's become a more common activity. So, Sean, you brought up you brought up something about you know the uh, Internet of Things and the use that uh, three point five gigahertz could could uh, be be leveraged, I guess, for those kinds of communications. Uh, yeah. In 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 uh, maybe you could maybe describe a typical use case. Well. I think what's really exciting is that it, I can imagine a lot more than I could describe, but I, I guess I mentioned smart meters or mm-hmm. electric utilities, for example. I think the, there were actually five winners of license, uh, channels uh, in the auction for Hawaii, and Verizon was the largest and the only sort of incumbent wireless mobile network operator that won uh, CPRS licenses. The next was Hawaiian Tel. Who I don't have they been doing mobile or cell net uh, service? I don't know. So interesting that Hawaiian Tel got a channel, and then Hawaiian Electric got a channel, and Dish Network here uh, got a channel. As did another really interesting provider called Mobi, who may be doing some really different kind of innovative uses. But yeah, I, I you know, I didn't, I didn't yeah. memorize all the the channel recipients. I know on the on on Oahu, it was primarily Verizon, Hawaiian Electric, and Dish, and maybe the neighbor islands. I think Hawaiian Tel might have uh, might have gotten a license. Uh, so, so yeah. I think this this application area of the Internet of Things is going to be a very interesting one. That's a pretty wide open area. Right. Well, you could basically build little neighborhood networks. You know, between uh, you could put up a shared webcam in your neighborhood that, you know, five neighbors could all watch over a closed network that doesn't even have to go 
over the internet. It could just be device to device, you know, kind of mini networks that people can operate with the unlicensed spectrum. Really, there's some really interesting possibilities. Well, so you know, I I know we're only down to about the last ten seconds. I'm going to try to find some good uh, resources for. Uh, people to find out more about how you know 3.5 could be used, uh, and I want to also you know uh, talk about 5G sometimes. So I'll have you guys back on, and we'll talk about 5G. Well, Corey Schaefer, he's the senior manager over at Verizon Wireless, and of course Sean Takeda McLaughlin, executive director at Access Humboldt. I want to thank you both for joining us today. Aloha, thank you, and thank you for listening to Bite Mars Cafe. Join us next week when we will talk about a remote work program called Temporary Resident Concept. If you missed any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email me at bitemarks at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. Our engineer is David Chong. You can catch us on HPR One every Wednesday or anytime via the HPR app, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. You stay awesome. And of course, we'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you.